welcome back to the Scared to Death podcast, episode five. My name is Sarah Dunn, and I'm an undergrad student at James Madison University who is studying psychology. And my name is Katie Angle. I am also an undergraduate student at JMU, and I have a major in psychology as well. Today, we'll be talking with Dr. Catherine Van Kessel, who is a professor at the University of Alberta. Um, Dr. Van Kessel, thank you so much for joining us today. Could you introduce yourself a bit more? Sure. Thanks for having me. So yeah, uh, I'm right now an associate professor uh, in the Department of Secondary Education at the University of Alberta. And uh, I, I study evil, um, which is what led me to Becker, among, among other cool theoretical folks. Um, and uh, I'm a former social studies and Latin teacher. So I'm really interested in classroom stuff as well as theory things. So how did you first hear about terror management theory? Uh, I actually heard about it uh, through my husband, who is a terror management theorist, uh, Jeff Schimmel. Um, I was uh, still teaching at the time, not uh, not doing a PhD or being a professor or anything like that. Um, and well, we you know we started dating, fell in love, you know the the story. <laughs> uh, and so I got to know terror management theory over like dinner table conversations <laughs> um, and just random random things. Um, and it didn't really click for me until I was doing my PhD. Uh, I, I was studying what grade 11 students thought about evil. And I kept hearing from them about this idea of being other and not us. And, you know, I was exploring that through a few kind of theoretical lenses. And then it, it just sort of clicked. I was like, wait a second, Jeff keeps talking to me about this stuff. Hold on. You know, so, so I picked up Becker and, you know, talked more uh, with Jeff about TMT studies. And so I really got into Becker's work on the fetishization of evil, as well as TMT studies kind of about that and about worldview threat. So I had about like a decade of covertly learning TMT <laughs> before I really engaged with it. It was it's sort of an odd story, I guess. Oh, that's awesome. Wow, that's so cool. Um, thank you so much for sharing. Can you talk about how that experience kind of led you to um, the Grim Educator and talk a little bit about that? Sure, yeah. So as I got more and more into Becker and TMT, uh, I wanted to actually do my own study, uh, but I, I'm not a quantitative researcher. <laughs> I'm a qualitative person and a theoretical conceptual person. Uh, so basically I applied for a, a grant uh, and I'm in Canada. So our grants look a little different than for you all down South. Uh, so we have a, a, a federal grant called the Social Sciences and Humanities um, and Research Council. And so I got a grant with them to talk with pre-service teachers about specifically worldview threat. Uh, and as we're teaching in a variety of subject areas, like where can this pop up? How can Becker and TMT be, be useful in what situations and so on? And so as part of that project, because um, it's funded through taxpayer money, uh, the government agency really likes uh, what they call knowledge translation and knowledge mobilization. So, so I proposed this open educational resource, uh, which I ended up doing through press books and that, that's this grim educator. Uh, and so what it is, is some, some of the theoretical work, as well as, you know, some of the findings and things that we created. So I, I worked with a graphic designer uh, about a worldview threat thermometer that is now, you know, freely available to download. 
uh, and it's, it's up in a variety of classrooms, you know, in, in Canada and the United States, which is really exciting for me, uh, that teachers will use like in their teaching practice. Uh, so there's, yeah, there's, there's lessons, there's resources, like uh, I made some videos <laughs> about some basic ideas that I hope will be accessible, you know, to, to students and to teachers. Uh, and then I combined it with a couple other projects I had going on. Um, so there's some lesson plans about uh, a concept I call villainification, which is, you know, related to some Becker stuff, but mostly drawing from other theorists like Hannah Arendt, who I know like Becker didn't get along with, but I actually find Hannah Arendt and Becker together uh, to like work really well, even if, you know, as human beings, they maybe didn't like each other's theories so much. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. Um, your website is really nice, by the way. Oh, thanks. Um, I had yeah. lots of help. <laughs> great. Um, on your website, you discuss teaching as an immortality project for education, uh, ed educators in the sense that your ideas are being passed on. You kind of touched on this, but when did you begin to see um, TMT intertwined with teaching? Were you like a student or a teacher when you began to see this? Oh, okay, gotcha. I, it was kind of a, a, a late blooming aha moment, or, or I don't know, maybe an oh crap moment <laughs> um, for me, you know, after I transitioned from teaching secondary school to being a professor and teaching in that context. So like um, thinking about immortality projects gave me a language to talk about processes that had actually had been worrying me for quite some time. Uh, you know, for example, I was really concerned about teachers too heavily invested in what their students kind of thought about them or their ideas. And you know, as well as the, the imposition and harm caused by teachers who want to save their students. Um, so you know, I've been thinking for a while, uh, you know, from you know, an, an anti-oppression educational thinker named Paolo Friere. And he wrote really eloquently about like working with communities instead of imposing on them as sort of like neo-colonialism. Uh, and, you know, with a related ethical stance, um, my mentor and now colleague Kenton Hare often talks about how we should teach to save ourselves, not our students. You know, again, because of that, that imposition that could be so worrisome. And then I encountered this really cool piece by Adam Gretman and Kevin Burke about how, you know, maybe it's more helpful to think about liking our students instead of loving our students. You know, I don't know how connected you are to like teacher discourse, but there's a lot of stuff about like loving your students. But when you love someone, you're really deeply invested in them. And that means you can run the risk of imposing on them. So, so I collaborated with Kevin uh, to think deeply about teaching as an immortality project. And so how, how that can be helpful, you know, just like an immortality project as your child, like it can be a really beautiful thing, you know, where you are, you know, seeing half of your genes live on or some of your ideas live on and, and you're supporting them in that, but it also can be really harmful, you know, like I, I'm a mother and, and a failed soccer player. So if I forced my son <laughs> to do soccer because um, I'm a failed soccer player and I wanna live vicariously through him, like I can really harm him. And you know, we can do the same things to our students. Um, I don't buy the, the rhetoric that, that teachers are trying to like indoctrinate their kids. Cause I mean, gosh, whether I was teaching junior high, high school or now university, like, yeah, just get them to read the syllabus. Like that would be amazing. I'm definitely not gonna indoctrinate <laughs> them. But I do think there is a worry of, of teachers thinking that, you know, they failed if they haven't really reached those students. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you're teaching grade 12 history, for example, I mean, students have had 11 years for the love of learning to be beaten out of them. So like there are limits of what you can do, but you can really, you can really still be helpful and you can really still be this powerful figure, but without over-investing, if, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you so much for sharing. And um, that kind of ties into our next question is, what do you think the wider implications are for teachers um, knowing about like these, um, like the Grim Educator and all the things that you have on your website, like um, a wider knowledge of this? Well, I'd like to think, and you know, maybe this is I'm self-invested in my own research, <laughs> but I'd like to think that it's helpful because because I really don't think that teachers realize the existential stakes of their profession. You know, as, as we know from Becker and terror management theory, you know, people consciously and unconsciously do not want to acknowledge death or their fears about death, and, and teachers are included in that, of course. Um, but I think, you know, thinking about teaching as an immortality project, it certainly helped me personally, like divorce my self-esteem from certain aspects of teaching while refocusing on more helpful aspects. So like, I try not to pride myself on how my students take up ideas or skills I think are important, but instead on how good my invitations to those ideas or skills are. So right now I, I often teach undergraduate education students uh, who specialize in the social studies before they head out on a teaching practicum. And so we talk a lot about things like settler colonialism and white supremacy, like really intense threats to people's self-esteem and worldview. So I spend a lot of time revising and rethinking how I introduce those concepts, you know, in the context of education. You know, how, how might I make that invitation to that difficult knowledge stronger? You know, um, continuing the metaphor of the, the invitation, which is often how I talk about it with them is, you know, you know, what color is that invitation? What shape is the paper scented? Are there sparkles <laughs> or is it more subdued? <laughs> You know, so because we want students to accept that invitation. So we need to respond to them and, and what they think they can take up, you know, in that moment, in that space with you, you know, but I have to be okay if they don't take that invitation, because I'm just, you know, I'm just one small part of their lives. So maybe they come to the party, maybe they take that invitation, but maybe they're wallflowers, or, or maybe they come and they dance on the table, right? You know, mm -hmm. but, but either way, the, the only control I have is over that invitation. You know, otherwise students who are, you know, say steeped in settler colonialism and white supremacy, as pretty much we all are in, in the context of the United States and Canada, you know, they may not be ready, you know, at least yet, but maybe you can plant a seed, right? So, so I can't let it destroy my professional and personal self-esteem if I haven't, you know, gotten them from point A to B, but I, I can pride myself on how hard I tried. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think TMT, like at least for me personally, and I hope this will be for others as well, is it, you know, helps people be aware of like what's at stake existentially in, you know, in terms of our self-esteem um, and to be more metacognitive about what aspects we want to focus on as these sort of points of, of, you know, pride. Yeah, for sure. So kind of still on that note, do you have a certain approach to teaching TMT to students? Do you try to intertwine it into like history lessons or when students learn about past evil historical events or do you kind of approach it in like a social psychology way? That's an awesome question. Um, all of the above. <laughs> uh, depends a lot on the context. Um, so I see TMT is useful in two ways, as, as particularly as a social studies educator, but I think it applies to other subjects as well. Um, I think it is really helpful as a curricular lens, but I also think it's really helpful as a pedagogical attitude. Um, and I'm, I'm actually super excited. I'm gonna, I'm gonna plug my, my new open access article. There's a, an article in the Journal of Teacher and Education uh, of teacher education, pardon me, uh, that just, just came out and it's reporting on the study, that one that I mentioned earlier about the Grim Educator. Um, and it talks about its use in both of those veins. So 
you know, like as a curricular lens, like as an interpretive lens, uh, terror management theory and social studies can really help people understand, you know, why genocide happens. Because students will ask this, they're like, how could people do such a thing, you know? Uh, and it's not sufficient to have it be like this one figure, like, I mean, the Holocaust didn't happen just because of Hitler. Like, obviously, he had a big part in it and he needs to be held accountable for that. But there were these like general people who, you know, yeah, fetishized evil or were in worldview and self-esteem threat and all these things. So it provides this way to like explain things like intercultural conflict in history. Uh, and then as a pedagog pedagogical attitude, like I would love for teachers to understand the idea of worldview threat and how defenses can play out in their classrooms, you know, and then develop tactics with appropriate humor. Um, so, so I've been teaching TMT directly to my undergraduate students and to my graduate students when I've run um, special topics. I, I run a course called Evil Education and another course called Existential Education, of which uh, Becker and Team T always plays a role in both, obviously more so in the existential one. Um, and so, so I will absolutely teach that directly with the terminology and all that jazz. Um, but during my PhD, when I became interested in Becker and TMT, I actually taught it to high school students as well. Uh, I obviously didn't have them read the intense peer-reviewed uh, experimental papers. You know, I mostly gave them summaries and, and, you know, some of the cool videos that are out there, like BrainCraft has a great video that summarizes TMT research, you know, these kind of things. And then we would talk a little bit about it, mostly as a, as a historical lens, because I, I was teaching senior high social studies at the time. Um, and now that I have, like, I've been teaching teachers who've gone out in the field, they have a whole mix so some of them will absolutely teach it directly uh, and some will just use the principles. So they'll, they'll talk about worldview threat, but they won't necessarily talk about the theoretical underpinnings of why it happens, but they'll get them to kind of log those responses and they'll teach them, you know, the different types of defenses identified by TMT and other sorts of things. So it seems to be effective teaching directly, but that requires, you know, the time and the expertise to do that. Uh, but it seems to be really effective teaching it indirectly as well. You know, as I said, just some of the sort of the extensions of why these things happen without necessarily getting like heavy, heavy into the theory. So I'm hoping that people could find like whatever works for them. You know, so a lot of my former students will teach it directly, but people who maybe just read one of the papers or, you know, use the, the, the Grim Educator OER or something like that, like maybe they'll just have principles of it here and there. And, and I think that's okay too, because, you know, context really matters of what you can do with it. Right, right. That's awesome. So how do you find your students respond to that? Like learning about TMT? Is there, um, I don't know, just feelings of like learning, like excitement, or do they respond well to learning about TMT? You know, generally speaking, yes. Um, most comments I get are that, you know, this has changed their life, um, which is like pretty phenomenal. Um, you know, they'll, they'll say everything from, you know, this has affected, you know, how I taught my students when I went into teaching, um, those kind of things. But they'll also say like, boy, this really helped me around the th Thanksgiving dinner table <laughs> when, you know, my racist uncle says something and I can kind of understand where he's coming from and I can diffuse that in a better way rather than just reacting and have having both of us be in worldview threat and end up throwing pumpkin pie at each other. Um, so so yeah, most of the time I get I get positive feedback. I get the odd person who's like, I don't buy it. And I was like, that's totally cool. Like, you know, you can go ahead and you can, you know, look at the the experiments and see, see what you think. Like I'm all, I never believe that any theory is is perfect and infallible or, you know, and I don't think any theorist actually does. 
Um, but they'll, they'll definitely still be in that kind of denial phase. I, I have very few people outright dislike it. Um, when I first, first started teaching it and I didn't quite have my, you know, um, my invitation uh, as nicely laid out, I got a, a bit of a reaction sometimes from, uh, from students who were religious, thinking that TMT was, you know, misunderstanding uh, th and thinking that TMT was saying that say spiritual beliefs as a source of immortality were like not a thing. Um, so I've really refined my approach saying that, you know, actually, you know, there are people who are very religious who do really connect with Becker and TMT's ideas. And that, you know, when we're talking about sources of literal and symbolic immortality, like we're not saying that they're silly, they're actually super important. And it's not, it's not TMT's job to say which one is right or wrong. They're only explaining how it's functioning. And I find coming from that approach now, um, I don't, I haven't gotten a, a negative reaction for a few years now, um, which is, which is cool. Yeah. Most of, most of them really like it. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for asking. Yeah, that's so cool. As, um, as we read some of the info on your website, we were reminded of the controversy of critical race theory and it being mm -hmm. taught in schools has been such like a hot topic in the past year and a half. Um, how do you think worldview defense and teaching is immortality has played into both sides of the debate? Do you think adding things like this to the curriculum will always spark a debate? Mm, wow, yeah. Um, whew, worldview defense really does help explain like what I see as a really irrational and over the top reaction to things like critical race theory. Um, but having said that, just because I understand it, I still find it incredibly frustrating to watch it unfold. Maybe even more so because I realize like, you know, how, how at the end of the day, um, you know, it's, it's just this worldview threat reaction. Um, but yeah, critical race theory uh, is a great example of how this can really crop up because it's such a potent threat to like foundational worldview ideas. Like, you know, in, in Western society, the myth of meritocracy, um, you know, that we see in, you know, in the United States, Canada and elsewhere, you know, we see our countries as free and fair places, but critical race theory exposes how's that that's not actually the case. Um, you know, there are a bunch of folks uh, with white racial identities that resist the difficult knowledge that, you know, they are in a position of advantage over people who don't have a white racial identity. Um, you know, they really resist that because they can't, they, they have to admit that they can't base their self-esteem solely on their success because there are systems in place that give them a head start over others. So it's really like a blow, it's a blow to your worldview and then it's a blow to your self-esteem because you're like, okay, maybe I'm not quite as great as I thought I was. Like maybe there's someone more talented that should be in my position, right? Um, you know, but then, you know, on the other side, I, I think there are some people who recognize our white supremacist settler colonial societies, um, uh, you know, who are, you're, they're seeing that, but at the same time, they're failing to see that this is not just an informational problem, but it's also an emotional one. You know, like, like you can provide infinite statistics to those who resist critical race theory, you know, to show them, you know, that structural racism is a thing, and yet their beliefs don't change. Like, information is not the problem. And I think psychology can really help with this, you know, and, and psychology in general, like even beyond TMT, like, you know, I don't know, cognitive dissonance, motivated reasoning, those kind of things. But TMT, I think, is extra cool to understand this because it really adds that extra layer 
to understand why these harmful defenses arise like in the first place you know because because curriculum is always political like i'm in alberta canada and we're arguing over the extent to which we should be teaching about indian residential schools it's sort of our equivalent of of the critical race theory debate um and it's equally equally harmful it's equally racist um you know and people are like oh we need an apolitical curriculum you know, which is complete garbage because curriculum is always political. You know, someone has to choose what content goes in because the past is massive. What we select for history and what we select for a history class is, is this tiny, tiny, tiny fragment. Um, and, I, and it's just not an option in my opinion to gloss over systemic problems like racism. So, you know, I would really love to see teachers and administrators and, you know, politicians uh, who are, you know, invested or have portfolios about education to be really better equipped to talk about worldview threatening content, um, you know, so that we can, you know, not remove these really important things from curriculum and not, you know, <laughs> punish teachers for, for talking about some of the big problems that are, are really, really present in our world and social studies as the study of social means we're supposed to study these things. <laughs> so, yeah. That was a bit of a rant, I apologize. Yeah, I feel really awesome. passionately about it. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just gonna sit here and pontificate. <laughs> I apologize. No, that's totally awesome. I really appreciated your take on that and understanding why people feel this way and kind of breaking it down to the self-esteem and worldview threat as well um, makes it make a lot more sense on why people um, feel this way. Um, kind of on the same thread of worldview. Oh, sorry, worldview threat. I was wondering, um, do you think that like worldview threat would be beneficial for students to understand and learn early on? So like why people feel so um, strongly against other groups? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be so important. Um, and I, I think we can I think we can learn a lot from from German education with their like denazification. You know, they had sort of these scaffolded ideas of like okay so so little kids are kind of learning about you know how we can treat people you know poorly in these ways and it's addressed in an age-appropriate way and then that knowledge is then scaffolded up to like all the nitty-gritty details by the time they finish you know the equivalent of high school and I think we could do the same thing with like worldview threat and terror management theory is when they're little little you know again getting them to to read books uh like I think of uh, like duck death and the tulip, for example, just about not being so scared of death in general. And then as well about this, you know, political polarization and how we can treat people kind of not so nicely. And then I think that could scaffold up as they get a little bit older again, you know, with kind of more details to sort of be like, hey, we can be gross to each other and, and yet we can still be better, but let's, let's be aware of what we're thinking and what we're feeling and why we think and feel those things so that we can be kind of our better selves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was, thank you so much. Um, we're gonna end on sort of a heavy note. Um, what do you like to do in your free time? <laughs> well, that's always a dangerous thing to ask an academic because <laughs> we're like, what free time? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I love I love things like gardening and, and I have a nine-year-old son. So, you know, he and I are really into uh, playing um, Mario games on the Nintendo Switch. Um, and for me, like for, for me, my personal selfish pleasure, I'm really into the Marvel Cinematic Universe mm -hmm. right now. Um, so I'm, I'm actually writing a book about uh, Marvel villains 
Oh, wow. And, which is sort of fun. So now I'm just like, oh, I'm rewatching like Captain America, like for research. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I'm, I'm trying to find it free time for enjoyable things, but then using the excuse of work. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Um, We really appreciated you taking the time to speak with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Really, thank you for having me. Thank you so much again to Dr. Catherine Van Kiesel. Thank you all for listening. Tune in next week to the Scared to Death podcast. Mm